Today we are concluding uh, our series entitled The Relationship Matters and it brings to uh, a conclusion an epic month in which we have explored and unpacked God's plan for love in our lives. And uh, we're going to conclude today with a very important installment. This is the fourth installment in this particular series, and it's a very important installment. I think of it as a major key and a master key when it comes to the quality and longevity of our relationships. And so we are going to talk about the starting point, the starting point for relationships. And here is a brief outline. Uh, we'll start with some scripture reading. We'll look at the Bible and self-esteem, the high cost of low self-esteem, the benefits of high self-esteem, sources of self-esteem, uh, and what it is that steals your self-esteem and how you can protect your self-esteem. And I guess uh, you have already figured out that I'm going to talk about self-esteem. I'm going to talk about loving yourself and how to love yourself, why to love yourself, and exactly what loving yourself looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, what it involves. So I want you to pray with me now as we go into the word of the Lord. And let's invite the Holy Spirit into this sacred space. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, we are grateful for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, and to grow. Father, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to reign on us, to reign in us, to preside over this moment, and to impart to us an understanding that will empower us for many years to come. Lord, be glorified in the Word, be magnified in the Word. Let your Word reach its target in our hearts and initiate the process of transformation, even a paradigm shift that elevates our understanding to another level. And this we have prayed in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints that love Jesus said, Amen and Amen. Well, we are going to dive into the presentation with a reading from the Word of God. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 12, verses 29 through 31 reads, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Woo! Wow and wow. There is none other commandment greater than these. So the first commandment, the first will of God, the primary will of God for you is that you love him. 
And the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. And so our love for him reflects our revelation of his love for us. And if your love for him is to grow, it will grow in proportion to your revelation of his love for you. Until you realize the love of God for you, you will not love him with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and your strength. And this is where the cross of Calvary comes in. Because the cross of Calvary is the evidence the proof, the statement of God concerning you. That is God saying, I love you. And I love you so much that I will pay the debt I didn't owe so that uh, because you owed a debt you couldn't pay, I am going to trade places with you. I will take your sins and give you my righteousness. And when we understand the transaction of the cross, that actually we traded places with Christ, that he took our place, that was us, he was in our place on that cross. And when he took our place, he made available to us his place. And his place is the place of righteousness, peace, and joy. His place is the place of spiritual authority. It is the place of glory and majesty, and he gives this to us freely. And all we need do to receive the exchange and the transaction of the cross is believe that that sacrifice was made for you. And so as your revelation or realization of God's love for you increases, so will your love for him. But the second, the second is, is, is like, it's like, and namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it would appear that God really wants us to live in love, to experience the wonder, the majesty and the glory of love, to experience the sensation of love and to live in that place and in that sensation. And it's love for God, but it is equally love for your neighbor as yourself. So I want you to notice, I want you to notice that though the sentence mentions your neighbor before it mentions you, the meaning of the sentence the 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 fact of the sentence is that you must love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself the implication here is that you must love yourself you must love you and as you learn to love you you will be able to love your neighbor correctly if you don't love you You'll never be able to love others, and you'll never be able to receive love from others. So the starting point for effective human relationships on every level is self-love. The starting point for romantic relationships, professional relationships, family relationships, community relationships, church relationships is self-love.
You must love yourself so that you can love your neighbor correctly. And there is no other greater commandment than these. So in order, we love God, we love ourselves, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. In order, we love God, we love ourselves, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm going to show you a mystery in the Bible concerning self-esteem and self-love. It's in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. It reads, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as from the the uh, the Lord, the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. So that's a that that's a modern translation. And initially, when I became aware of this verse, I read it in the King James translation, uh, in which it says, "But we with open face," and it really does mean unveiled face, because the context of this of this verse is where Paul speaks about Moses and his experience at the burning bush when he met God and you know got the revelation of God's name and got his commission to to go back to Egypt and to liberate his people from captivity the bible teaches that when he came out of that experience his face shone it shone brightly and that he had to put a veil over his face so that people could look at him and you know paul likens that veil to to the law of moses the law of moses that the law of moses in some way uh, veils or obscures the glory of god so that you never really see god in all of his glory uh, but you see him through a veil which is the veil of requirements and ordinances and sacrifices and, and practices and rituals. And that's where people saw God. In the Old Testament, people saw God in the rituals, in the sacrifices, in the ceremony, in the laws, in the rules, uh, in the protocols of the Mosaic covenant and law. But here Paul says that we, without that veil, with unveiled face, in other words, those ordinances, those practices, those edicts, those commandments, they've been taken away so that we can now see the glory of God. But I want you to notice something. He says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So here's my question to you. Where do we now see the glory of God? Where do we now see the glory of God? We know that in the Old Covenant, they saw the glory through the veil of the religion, the religiosity, the obedience to all of the practices and principles, and that's where they saw God. And they never really saw God because he was veiled behind the religion. But where do we see the glory of God right now? I want you to notice that we see the glory of God in the mirror. Woo! <laughs> we see the glory in the mirror. And when you stand in front of a mirror, what you're looking for is your reflection, your image, your likeness. You are looking at yourself 
when you look in the mirror. And yet here Paul says, when we look in the mirror, what we see when the law is taken away, when all the rules and the regulation and the obligation and the, and the practices and the ceremony and the sacrifices, when all of those things are taken away, what we see in the mirror is the glory of the Lord. And he says that if you see glory in the mirror, you will be transformed into that same image from the glory that you saw in the mirror to the glorious person that you are, from glory to glory. And this happens by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's a deep and profound revelation here, and it is this, that when you can see glory in your mirror, you will become glorious. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to start shouting right now because this is profound truth. It is spiritual truth and it's backed up by a whole lot of scientific research and evidence. The research and the evidence shows that you will become, uh, you will become over a period of time the person that you imagine yourself to be. If you think of yourself a certain way, if you speak of yourself a certain way, if you see yourself a certain way, that's how you're going to become. Your self-concept in that respect is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your self-image is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And how you see yourself when you look in the mirror is the person that you're going to become. And right here in the scriptures, we are told that if you can see the glory of God in the mirror, oh, hallelujah. What this means is if you can see the glory of God in you, then you will be transformed into that same image. And this lesson today is about seeing the glory of God in you. Because if you can see glory in you, if you can look in the mirror and see the glory of God in you, then you are going to become the, the image, the reflection that you have seen by the Spirit of the Lord. Now we're going to break this down. And I'm going to define self-esteem. Self-esteem, I'm going to define it. I love this picture. I, I chose this picture to be with the, with the presentation because it's a beautiful picture of someone just loving and hugging themselves. So here goes. Your self-esteem is your self-estimate. So esteem means estimate. And you know what an estimate is, right? It's 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 a it's a way of of ascribing value to something. It's a way of of guessing the price of something, the cost of something, the worth of something, the value of something. That's an estimate. You know, if you're asked for an estimate, you're you you know you're being asked for a ballpark figure as to what this thing is worth, what it, what it will cost, what its price is going to be. And so your self-esteem is your self-estimate. It is the value you place on yourself. 
your personal sense of value, worth, and price. And it translates to, you know, how much of a prize are you? How much of a prize are you? You know, in relationships, very specifically, certainly in the in 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 the Western Hemisphere, you know, people think of themselves often as a prize, and when they come into a relationship, they get the sense that really you caught me, you caught the prize. But here we're we're asking who really is the prize, and how much of a prize are you? Is it that you are fortunate to have found someone who loves you? Or are they fortunate that they found you? Is it that you're fortunate that the job, that you got the job? Or is the company fortunate that you are now working with the company? Is the church fortunate? Uh, are you fortunate that that you have found a great church or is the church fortunate that it found you how much of a prize are you how should people treat you appreciate you or celebrate you all of this is your self-esteem and as you can imagine uh, self-esteem is something that grows through consciousness, through revelation, so that we actually experience levels of self-esteem. Some people have very high self-esteem. They're very conscious of the prize that they are. They have a high sense of value and worth and significance, and they feel uh, they you know they feel important. They feel special. They feel precious. And other people have low self-esteem which means they feel worth less. They feel as though they, they, they don't have much value. They don't have much worth. They are not much of a prize. And we want to address that today in Jesus' name. Because I want to talk about the high cost of low self-esteem. The high cost of low self-esteem. Now, if you're dealing with low self-esteem, if you're suffering from low self-esteem, if you are your number one critic and the primary saboteur of your own success. If you are the one who thinks of yourself as ugly, thinks of yourself as undesirable, thinks of yourself as unworthy, thinks of yourself as, 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 as excluded justifiably. If you are that person I want to tell you that you're paying a very high price for thinking that way, for living that way, for speaking of yourself that way, and for seeing yourself that way. I want to expose the high cost of low self-esteem. And before I even begin, I want to tell you why uh, I'm calling this the starting point, the fundamentals, the prerequisites the basis and the foundation of building any relationship. It is because low self-esteem is the mother of all dysfunctions. Every other dysfunction in, in human behavior, personality, disorders, um, you know, uh, every, every, every low, base, undesirable, uh, you know, practice, and procedure and paradigm of human beings comes from this sense of low self-esteem. So if we can nip this in the bud, 
it will bring such transformation to our lives on so many levels. But let's look at the high cost of low self-esteem. Number one, top left, sales. Sales. Any price will do if you don't know the value of an item. If you underestimate its worth, you may sell the priceless for pennies. Can I tell you that far too many believers are on sale right now, particularly in the area of uh, love, romance, marriage. Far too many believers are on sale and they have reduced their price by 60, 70, 80, and even 90%. You know what the sales are like, right? Uh, you know, in the UK, we have uh, New Year sales and uh, increasingly we're having Black Friday. And then there are other points in the year where, you know, you know, retailers need to restock and they will put all of the old inventory uh, on sale. They'll slash the prices. And, you know, when your self-esteem is low, when you don't know your true worth and value, you're tempted to put yourself on offer for a 70% reduction, 80% reduction. And, you know, we, we often think of this as settling. The word that's used is settling, you know, and settling comes from a consciousness that says, I'm never going to do any better. I can't do any better. I might as well accept what's being offered. And, you know, in sales, you know, when there's a sale on and it's 80% off of everything, what happens is there are queues, endless queues outside the store, just waiting for the store to open. And then people rush into the store, sometimes forgetting any amount of decency, protocol, or dignity, fighting each other, uh, stepping over each other to run and grab something that's on sale. And this is the result of low self-esteem. It's making yourself cheap. It's making yourself cheap and available to anyone. And this is the high cost of low self-esteem. Number two, opinion. You are more likely to agree with other people's opinions of you or be distressed by them if your own self-estimate is low. So, of course, for some people, you know, all it takes to ruin their day, their week, their month is a criticism from someone. Someone criticizes your look. Someone criticizes your your effort. Someone criticizes your 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 you know your stuff. Someone criticizes you, and it plunges you into this very low and dark place for a day, for a week, for a month, and for some people, an entire year. What's causing that? Why do you value their opinion so highly? You value their opinion of you because you don't value your opinion of you. You don't have high self-esteem and your low self-esteem means that you are forever reacting and responding to other people's opinions, their comments, their likes, their dislikes. You, in the end, become a puppet that is performing for likes and we very much see this in the age of social media where people post things in order to get likes and if you don't get the likes it starts to affect your self-esteem well 
if a person has high self-esteem and they don't get lots of likes, it really doesn't plunge them down too far. It makes them think, what's wrong with these people? They obviously don't know a good thing when they see it. And so, and they get up, have a cup of tea and carry on with their day. Others with low self-esteem pay a high price for the low self-esteem in that the opinions of others controls their mood for the day, the week, the month, and even uh, years. Let's go over to aspiration. You're more likely to exclude yourself from opportunities, relationships, or personal dreams if you underestimate your own worth. So when a new opportunity does present itself, you are the most likely person to decline, to procrastinate, to avoid, because you're not really confident in you. You don't really believe in yourself and you're having problems uh, with with self-esteem. The same happens with a new relationship. Here's an opportunity to be in a relationship. You're afraid. You throw up the barriers. You procrastinate. You won't explore. You won't take a risk because you're afraid that this person is going to find out who I really am. This person, if I let them in, is going to realize that I'm really not worth their attention. That is the language and the paradigm of low self-esteem. And it, the high cost is that it kills your aspiration. All right, let's go down to the bottom left. Sabotage. You may sabotage your own success when your self-esteem is low because you'll talk yourself out of opportunities, relationships, and dreams. And so you don't even need an enemy. You don't need a devil. You don't need demons. You don't need witchcraft. You don't need any of that to sabotage your success. They can leave you alone because you'll do it for yourself. You'll talk yourself out of opportunities, talk yourself out of relationships, talk yourself out of, of even your dreams that God embedded in your spiritual DNA, your destiny, your purpose, uh, the reason why you're present on planet Earth. You can talk yourself out of it when you fail to value yourself, when your estimate of yourself is very low, you become your own worst enemy, sabotaging your own success. Let's go over to rejection. You are more likely to reject the advances of an interested party if you, uh, you know, are scared that they might might find out something about you. So what I mean by rejection here is that, uh, you know, you you are more likely to to reject an advance for fear that this advance may lead to deeper investigation and inspection uh, of you. And because you don't actually value yourself, you don't rate yourself, you don't think highly of yourself, uh, then you would rather not go through the pain of being rejected at some point in the future because you already have this negative prophecy this personal prophecy that you've made that this is not going to work i'm going to be rejected uh i'm not going to be chosen you know a lot of people don't even go in for a competition because they've already convinced themselves i'm going to lose and so rather than deal with the possible pain of rejection they will they will opt out Finally is suspicion. You're more likely to suspect the advances of an interested party if you can't accept the compliments they pay as genuine. Uh, 
See, if you don't love yourself, if you think of yourself as ugly, and someone says you're beautiful, you don't believe them. You are now suspicious of them. Your defenses have gone up, and you know you don't trust what they're saying because you don't believe what they're saying. You find it difficult to accept compliments because you don't believe in them. And 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 you know all of this leads to to various personality disorders and social dysfunctionality uh to where you know you 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 you, you can even have uh, what they call the imposter syndrome the imposter syndrome and in the bible you know it was it was a man that came into the wedding feast not having a wedding garment so he was in the crowd but he never felt like he belonged there and some people get into a crowd into a circle into a relationship into an opportunity but don't really feel like you belong there uh, like like you deserve to be there or that you're worthy of being there and so you're now suspicious of good things that people say um, you are predicting that the rejection and the ejection is about to happen you're talking yourself out of exploring your new opportunity uh, taking the risk and treating it as an adventure and this is all emanating from this demon this lying spirit of low self-esteem and the low self-esteem is fundamentally a distortion uh, of the truth and and it is evidence that you're looking in the wrong mirror in order to determine who you really are uh, i said all that to say that low self-esteem is not something that any christian should live with it's not something that any person should live with if you're suffering from it if you're dealing with it we're going to try to address it today i want you to deal with it i pray that as the months and years go by your self-esteem will raise uh you know will rise incrementally uh, consistently and sustainably to a place where these things do not befall you. You do not become the victim of a, of a, of a bargain sale at the end of the year. You do not become the person who is obsessed with other people's opinions and comments and likes or dislikes. You, you do not, you know, uh, accept a limit on your aspiration, on where you can go. You remove the limit and declare that the sky is the limit for you. And you stop talking yourself out of new relationships and new opportunities and new spaces. And you quit this concept of, of imminent rejection. And you learn to accept with a thank you, the compliments that are sent your way. Oh, you look lovely today. Thank you. That was really beautiful what you did. Thank you. I love the way you said that. Thank you. As opposed to having all of these suspicious uh, thoughts that are nothing more than a manifestation of low self-esteem. Now let's look at the benefits of high self-esteem. Woo, the benefits of high self-esteem. Number one is high standards or higher standards. High standards come from high self-esteem. What you accept or tolerate is directly linked to your estimate of self. Uh, 
In other words, when your self-esteem is high, your tolerance for foolishness is low. When your self-esteem is low, your tolerance for foolishness is high. What do I mean by foolishness? We dealt with some of it in the last installment. Any manifestation of, of abusive behavior towards you, anything that depreciates you, devalues you, excludes you, your tolerance for it will be very low if your self-esteem is high. But if your self-esteem is low, you will tolerate these things often for years and be the victim of an abusive relationship all because your self-esteem is low. So, High self-esteem, the first benefit is that it will raise your standards. You'll have higher standards. You'll have greater expectations. That's the next one. What you expect from yourself, from life, and from others is directly linked to your own self-image, concept, and estimate. The more value you see in yourself, the more you expect from life. So people with, with big dreams big goals and people who push themselves to the limit and say, I could be more, I could do more, I can have more. That is coming from somewhere. It's coming from a self-image, a self-concept. Uh, it's coming from, it's coming from a self-estimate that is high. And because your self-estimate is high, you know you can be more, do more, have more. You're aiming for more in life. You're expecting more from life. You're expecting more from others. And you are fundamentally expecting more from yourself. High aspirations. Again, many of these things overlap, as you saw with the uh, high cost of low self-esteem. The benefits of high self-esteem equally overlap. High aspirations. You will hardly aim for something in life that you don't believe you deserve. Woo! You'll hardly aim for something in life that you don't believe you deserve. High aspirations are signs of high self-esteem. So there are some people who are saying at the conclusion of a meeting, I'll see you at the top. Where is that coming from? That is coming from a sense of self-worth, value, and estimate that is high. That is coming from someone who's looking in the mirror and instead of seeing faults, failures, disappointments, uh, rejections, instead of seeing the warts, the imperfections, the inconsistencies, instead they are seeing without the veil the glory of God in the mirror. And when you see the glory of God in the mirror, then you know that you belong at the top. You belong at the top of your chosen field. You deserve a good relationship with a good person that loves you and plays their part in the partnership and the teamwork that makes the dream work. You deserve a great job or a great business. You deserve a lovely home, a lovely place to live in, in a lovely neighborhood, if that is your desire. You deserve more. Your aspirations are high because of how you see yourself. Bottom left, fearless adventure is a benefit of high self-esteem. Failure is feedback to people with high self-esteem. Oh, glory to God. I really hope this is resonating with someone today. Because when your self-esteem is high, 
You realize that failure is an event, not a person. You will never call yourself a failure. You will call a thing or a process a failure. You will say that failed, but you won't think of yourself as a failure. You won't personalize and internalize something that went wrong. Business went wrong. Well, that formula clearly doesn't work. Uh, you know, a relationship went wrong. Well, that relationship didn't work. Uh, you know, something didn't work out for you. It's something that didn't work out for you. But you can still get up and try again and go again because to you, that failure was an education. It's feedback to you. It's providing you useful information that you can take into your next venture. And that is only possible when your self-esteem is high. If your self-esteem is low, then failure is not an event. It's a person, and that person is you when your self-esteem is low. For the person with high self-esteem, failure is not evidence of worth or value. High self-esteem puts the adventure back into life because you can emotionally afford to fail. When your self-esteem is high, you can emotionally afford to fail. But when your self-esteem is low, you can't afford to fail emotionally. So you'll never take the risk. And if you'll never take the risk, life will cease to be an adventure. Life will cease to be fun. Life will cease to be a journey. Instead, it becomes a cage, a prison uh, in which you are imprisoned by your own conversation, by your own paradigm, and by the voices in your head that are telling you that you are not enough. Let's go over to the lower tolerance. You know, this is this is a benefit of high self-esteem, and we mentioned it in the previous slide. Uh, your tolerance for abusive, shady, secretive, or bad behavior will fall as your self-esteem rises. So if your self-esteem is high, your tolerance for a shady, secretive, uh, abusive, or aggressive character, it falls. You don't have tolerance. You're not tolerating it. You're not going to live with it. You're not going to try to negotiate or navigate it for the next few years to see, you know, if it's real. You just have this cutoff point because your standards are high. And you say, you know what? The way that you're treating me, I'm worth more than that because I am a prize. Because when I look in the mirror, what I see is the glory of God. Woo! I see the glory of God in the mirror. And you just touched the glory of God. You just shouted at the glory of God. You were just being aggressive to the glory of God. You're trying to abuse the glory of God. You're trying to mislead the glory of God. And you're not going to, to win or succeed because my tolerance for people like you is low. Woo! Let's go over to risk and reward. Very similar to fearless adventure. People with high self-esteem are more likely to take risks in life, business, and relationships. The highest rewards are reserved for the calculated risk takers. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to take reckless risks with life or business or relationships. I'm talking about calculated risks. I'm talking about people with low self-esteem won't take any risk because they can't afford 
emotionally to fail because any fail failure any failed venture any failed project any failed relationship makes them feel so rotten about themselves because it's confirming it's confirming these ugly dark demonic conversations they've already had with themselves in their own mind but if your self-esteem is high you can afford to emotionally walk away from a, a, a toxic relationship you can afford to emotionally walk away from a job that abuses you you can afford to emotionally walk away from a crowd from a company from a from a group that are not good for your destiny you can afford to walk away but when your self-esteem is low you can't you remain their prisoner because you'll never take a risk. And if you don't take risks in life, calculated risks, you'll never get the biggest rewards because the great rewards in life are reserved for those who take a risk. I think that's pretty obvious. If you look at the people who are living dreams, you know, uh, all of it started, uh, you know, with a risk, a calculated risk. If someone starts a business and it becomes profit-making, there was a calculated risk. If someone is in a beautiful, flourishing, fulfilling relationship in the beginning, there was a calculated risk. You're unlikely to take risks, calculated risks, if your self-esteem is low. But if it's high, then a sense of fearless adventure comes in. And and you're, you're, you're ready to take the risk to reap the rewards. Praise God. So I think we've, we've done well with the high cost of low self-esteem and the benefits of high self-esteem. I want to look at what self-esteem actually is, how it works, why it works, and how you can raise your own level of self-esteem. So let's go. Self-esteem comes from your self-concept and image. So your self-concept is the way you think of yourself. Your, your, your self-image is the way you see yourself. How you see, describe, and think of yourself will determine your level of self-esteem. Okay? And that is why God will always change your self-concept before he changes your circumstances. And we see this in the Bible over and over again. You know, before God gave Abraham children... God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And when God changes your name, what he's doing is he's changing your self-concept. He's changing your self-image. He's changing how you see yourself, what you think of yourself, what you say of yourself, and how you identify yourself. That's what God's doing when he changes your name. And when God said, you're not going to be Abram anymore, you'll be Abraham, which means the father of many, it simply means that from that day forward, God says, look, I want you to see yourself as the father of many. I want you to think of yourself that way. I want you to speak of yourself that way. I want you to identify yourself that way. The same is true of Jacob, whom God renamed to Israel. And when God called him Israel, God was saying, from now on, I don't want you to think of yourself the way you used to think of yourself. I don't want you to refer to yourself the way you used to refer to yourself. I don't want you to identify yourself the way you used to. I want you to step into your new identity. I want you to, to develop a new self-concept and a new self-image because Israel means prince of God. 
and as a prince you have power with God and with men and you have prevailed so God wanted to give him an image of victory uh, you know an image of royalty and this is what this is what God did for Jacob before he changed his circumstance he changed his self-concept I could give many other examples like Gideon Gideon was was hiding from the Midianites and God addressed him as a mighty man of valor woo uh, you know and 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 not only as a mighty man of valor but as the man that would save Israel from the oppression of the Midianites well that was revelation knowledge that was a revelation of how God see, saw him and he had to change the way that he saw him, the way society saw him, he had to exchange that for the way that God saw him. And when he took on a new sense of identity, a new self-concept, a new self-image, he was able to manifest new things. Because see, what you're manifesting in your life is really the consciousness you have of yourself. You're, you're, you know, we are constantly manifesting, living out, displaying, demonstrating, evidencing our own beliefs about ourselves because it's those beliefs that are governing your aspiration your effort your energy your attempts you know it is those beliefs that are governing and regulating that and so for that reason god will always change your self-concept before he changes your circumstance and if he doesn't do it that way round then we will be bringing the old concept into a new circumstance and when you bring the old self-concept into a new circumstance, you will eventually convert the new circumstance so that it looks exactly like the old one. I think you know what I mean. I mean that if someone doesn't keep a clean house, if someone doesn't have the consciousness of cleanliness, organization, and order in their house, and you put them in a brand new house that is pristine, organized, beautifully decored. Well, for a while, they'll keep it that way. Then they'll slip back into the old consciousness and that new house will begin to look, smell, and feel like the old house in no time at all. So God says, look, if I'm going to give you new things, then I need a new you to walk into those new things. So before those new things arrive, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your self-concept, your self-image. I'm going to change your self-estimate. I'm going to change your self-talk. I'm going to change all of that so that whatever you walk into, you can sustain and enjoy. Somebody help me preach right now. I only have a few minutes left. How exactly does a person develop self-esteem? Well, I'm going to give a quick lesson on this before we start to close. It all starts with the with the idea of intrinsic value. Woo! Somebody say it back to me in the chat box. Intrinsic value. So what intrinsic value means is that you have value apart from how you look, what you've done, or who you know, or who knows you. This is your intrinsic value. It is your who-ness 
as opposed to your awareness. It is your identity as opposed to your address. And you must never confuse who you are with where you are right now in life. Don't confuse who you are with where you are right now in life. Why? Because good people, great people, blessed people, gifted people will often find themselves in a bad place. Okay? A bad place. Let me give you some Bible for this. Joseph was the chosen son, the chosen deliverer for Israel. And yet he found himself in some bad places. He found himself in a ditch. He found himself on an auction block. He found himself, uh, you know, in Potiphar's house. He found himself in jail. But that's where he was. That's not who he was. Because of who he was, where he was could not hold him down. And I'm here to prophesy to somebody today that if you will get a revelation of your who-ness, it is a matter of time before where you are will spit you out just like the whale spit out Jonah. Because when you come into alignment with your assignment from God and you get a revelation of your royalty and who you really are in Christ and who Christ is in you, then no negative circumstance can hold you for too long because negativity requires your cooperation. Negative circumstances require your agreement, your consent, and your cooperation. And while you're not agreeing, you're not consenting, and you're not cooperating, eventually that negative circumstance must spit you out. It will spew you out. Don't confuse who you are with where you are. Your intrinsic value is who you are in spite of where you are in life. You are a spiritual being created by God, for God, and from God, and in God. In Him you live, move, and have your being. You need to begin identifying yourself with deity, identifying the I am that you are, and realizing that at your in your essence and at your core, you are a spiritual being created by God, for God, from God, and in God. No one should judge you on what you are not. Okay? And let me give you three things that you are not. I told you what you are. You are a spiritual being in your essence, created by God, for God, from God, and in God. But here's what you're not. You are not your body. Oh no, you, you are a spiritual being. You have a soul and you live in a body, but you are not your body. You are not your appearance. You are not your appearance. You are more than your appearance. Come on, somebody. Somebody help me preach this right now. You are much more than your appearance. And I pity people who have reduced their self-worth to an appearance. Because you spend your life trying to perfect an image that, that, that life itself is going to dismantle because as you get older, things are going to change. And, and you must realize your intrinsic value as a spiritual being, as God's uh, you know, person 
that God created for himself and from himself, when you realize that you have value beyond your appearance, you will pay attention to your appearance, but you'll not bank everything on your appearance. You are not your appearance. Old, young, black, white, tall, short, slim, large. You have an appearance, but you are not your appearance. You are much more than your appearance. And those who judge your book by its cover may fail to find the treasure that is hidden in the pages. But those who are smart, wise, conscious, and spiritual enough to look beyond the surface, to explore, to excavate, and mine the, 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 the gold mine, the, the, the field of diamonds that you are, may find in you such beauty, such perfection, such majesty, and such glory, because you are not your body. You are not your achievements. You or your aspirations, the things you want to achieve. What you have done or what you want to do is not who you are. And again, there are many people who have attached their self-worth to what they've done or what they plan to do. Men particularly, we derive our sense of worth and value by what we've done and what we're planning to do. And because because we have attached so much to what we've done and what we're planning to do, if what we do doesn't work, we come crashing down to the ground uh, in an emotional pool of blood. We have us, we, we, you know, we, we, we are, we, we fall down and shatter on the, on the floor uh, of our own, uh, you know, self-constructed imagination. Because the reality is you are so much more than what you have done. Your being always transcends your doing. You know, in the order of success as revealed in the Bible, it's be, do, have. You must be before you can do, and you must do before you can have. And so... The priority is who you are, um, and that's where your value is. It's in your who-ness. You are not your associations. Who you know and who knows you does not determine your intrinsic worth or value. You have to realize that you have intrinsic value, so that if you don't look the way that some people think you should look, if you haven't done all the things that some people think you should have done, if you don't know all the people that some people think you should know, you still have the intrinsic value of your spiritual essence. And this must become your priority when it comes to your self-estimate so that you're not starting from scratch. Many people are looking in the wrong mirror. You're looking in the mirror... Uh, that's reflecting your body, or you're looking in the mirror that's reflecting your achievements, or you're looking in the mirror that's reflecting your associations and, 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 and relationships. And those mirrors are the wrong starting point. The starting point is to look in the mirror of the word and see the glory of God in you.
and realize that God has taken up residence in you, that God chose you to be a part of this chapter in human history, that God selected you from his infinite intelligence, uniquely designed you, and and catapulted you, shot you like an arrow from the bow into this generation to be a meaningful, specific, purposeful part of his master plan. You are the child of the living God, the offspring of divinity. And when you begin to realize your value that is intrinsic, apart from how you look, apart from your age, apart from your mobility, apart from your achievements or aspirations, apart from your associations, you were still the one that Christ died for. You were still worth the ultimate price in God's estimate. God's estimate of you is so high. Why is your estimate of you so low? How do I know God's estimate of you is so high? I know it because of the cross. I know it because of Calvary. I know it because if a smart businessman is ready to empty his account in order to purchase an item, then that item must be worth more than it appears. And I'm here to tell you that the smart businessman is God your father who emptied his account in order to purchase you. You, He didn't do it to purchase your body, your achievements, or your associations, but to purchase you because you have intrinsic value. I know I'm going a little longer than I normally would, But I must get through this today, and it's the end of a series, so sit back, sip some more coffee and tea, and let's finish this series in Jesus' name. Warts and all, you, now this is critical, because you are delusional, you are delusional if you are in denial about your own need to grow, to change, to become, to improve. You are delusional. That is a false hijacking of the true self-esteem message. And there are some people who who have been introduced to various concepts of self-esteem, and they've used those things to deny that they have any imperfections, that they have any faults, that they have any warts. Well, that's not the school I'm coming from, and I've got the mic, so I'm going to preach it the way I see it. Warts and all, you have room to improve, to grow, and to become more. You absolutely do, and accepting that is part of self-esteem. It's fundamental, it's germane, it is, it is, it is essential to your self-esteem, and it's called self-acceptance. Self-acceptance. It's the foundation for self-esteem. It means accepting that you're on a journey. You're on a journey. You haven't arrived. You're on your way. You make mistakes. Yes, you do. You have room to improve. Yes, you do. You are a complex union of light and dark because you are a human being. I want you to hear this right now. I want you to know this right now, that each and every one of us is a complex union of light and dark, of wisdom and folly, of strength and weakness. We are all negotiating tensions 
between our strengths and weaknesses, our wisdom and our folly, our our successes and our failures. We we are we have this light and dark. None of us is just perfect in every aspect. We're on a journey, we're growing, we're maturing, we're learning. And when you accept that, it becomes easier to forgive yourself. And you can't love yourself if you won't forgive yourself. Yeah, I'm speaking to someone right now. You made mistakes. You messed up. You Maybe you messed up a marriage. Maybe you messed up a business. Maybe you messed up someone else's life. You messed up. Well, listen, let me tell you why. I'm going to tell you why you messed up. You messed up because you're a human being. And human beings mess up. Human beings make mistakes. You are not perfect. Watch this. You are not perfect. But you are perfectly human. You are perfectly human. You know, when you look at a baby in, you know, in the arms of a mother, that baby can't talk English or whatever language. That baby can't clothe themselves. That baby can't feed themselves. That baby can't clean themselves, but that baby is perfect. It's a perfect baby. And so you need to understand that you will have shortcomings, inconsistencies, um, insecurities, issues, challenges. Um, you'll make mistakes because you're perfectly human. And God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. God is not expecting you to come before him in the delusion of human perfection. He wants you to come before him in the humility of someone who knows that they're on a journey and needs more grace to, to plug the gaps, uh, to become sufficiency where we are deficient, to, 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 to close our knowledge gaps and to heal our blind spots. Uh, and when we come with that humility, then we advance along the journey. Glory to God. And I'm going to close with this. How do you protect your self-esteem? I run through this quickly. Number one, affirm your worth. Affirm your worth. Create affirmations. Create affirmations. Your I am that. Your I am that affirmations. And connect with company that affirms your worth. Okay? You don't want to go where you're tolerated. You want to go where you're celebrated. You want to be around people that value you and you want to consistently affirm the valuation of yourself. You need to look in the mirror and say, I see the glory of God in me. I see the glory of God in me. I see the grace of God in me. I see the plan of God in me. I see Christ in me. Number two, know who you are, who you are. Realize your own intrinsic value as a spiritual being created in the image and likeness of God. We just dealt with that. Number three, raise your standards. Decide that you won't settle for less than you deserve and are worth. Number four, relationships. Avoid social circles that depreciate you or that tolerate you. Embrace the circles that celebrate you. We mentioned that in affirming your worth. Here we go. Accept yourself. Accept that you're on a journey, not perfect and conflicted. Realize, uh, you know, uh, realize that this makes you perfectly human. Okay? Not perfect and conflicted. Will make mistakes, 
have shortcomings, uh, you know, uh, will be out of character sometimes, will be stupid sometimes in some of the decisions we make. We're going to make bad choices sometimes. We're going to make great choices at other times. Why? Because we're perfectly human. Accept yourself, okay? And those people who make you feel less than, than special, less than blessed, by presenting in a very false, facadish way all of their perfections and all of their triumphs and all of their successes, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. Because if you really got them under the spotlight to really tell their story, they would tell you that it's been a, it hasn't been a straight line to the top. It's been a jagged line. It's been up and down. I made some really smart decisions. I made some really foolish decisions. Uh, you know, I made mistakes along the way. Uh, I was out of character sometimes. I lost my temper over here. These things happened. That's the truth. And so you're not, you know, you're not on your own if you are aware of shortcomings or if you're conflicted in any way. You're just perfectly human. And finally, love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. I'm not now talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a practice. Love yourself practically by giving yourself the best attention and care. You know, when you take time out for you, that's loving yourself. When you give yourself a good meal, that's loving yourself. When you treat yourself to, a, to, 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 to something uh, that you want to buy, that's loving yourself. When you treat yourself to an evening of, you know, watching that movie with a glass of whatever it is you can put in your glass and and and, and you're going to sit back and just, that's loving yourself. When you pamper yourself and you go for a spa, that's loving yourself. When you, uh, you know, when you pray, you're loving yourself. There are so many ways to practically make yourself a priority and love yourself and do good things to yourself. Don't put poison into your body and call it food. That's not loving yourself. Love yourself. Find something healthy uh, uh, and nutritious to eat that has flavor and treat yourself to it because that's loving yourself. Wow. Well, you know I could have gone on for two hours, but I've gone on long enough as it stands. Uh, and by the way, for those who didn't know, okay, we started this Church in the House experience with something called the Hour of Power. And then, uh, you know, we try to fit everything into one hour. And then people, lots of people begin to say to me, Bishop, don't compromise the word. Don't hold back on the word. Take the hour for the word and we'll do the service in the other half an hour. So it's been at least an hour in this message today. I pray it's blessed someone. I'm going to pray with you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Now, church, I want you to bow your head. I want you to connect with someone near you. Maybe hold their hands and we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the lying devil that has brought low self-esteem to the believers. That has told believers that they are their appearance, that they are their achievements, that they are uh, their associations. In the name of Jesus, we expose that lie. And we declare by the word of the Lord that each and every one of us has intrinsic value. 
even the value of our who-ness, who we really are, as the sons and daughters, the children of the Most High God, the offspring of God. For we declare that in our fundamental essence, we are spiritual beings, created by God, for God, from God, and in Him we live, move, and have our being, and however we physically look, whatever we have done, achieved, or failed to achieve, does not take away our intrinsic value. I pray for a revelation of that value. And I pray that from this day forward, when we look in the mirror, we will see the glory of God. And Father, when we see the warts and the room to improve, may we take on the challenge with humility and say, I will make the adjustments, I will make the changes. I'm going to improve in those areas. And I'm not going to improve in those areas so that my worth increases. I'm going to improve in those areas because my worth is already increased. And Father, I pray that we will find healing, that we will find the starting point to love our neighbor as ourself. And this we have prayed in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints that deeply love Jesus said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. And if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.